0: Positive Feedback Loop. Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Positive Feedback Loop Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with my amazing co-hosts, Luis and Ray.
1: Hello. Hey, everyone.
0: We're three very different people who talk about interesting topics, so we learn, we explore, and we also disagree. So today's topic is a big one. It's sleep. Sleep impacts and is impacted by so many areas of life. So I want to start off with a really interesting definition of sleep that I found in a journal article on the ecological relevance of sleep. Pretty interesting. So it's Mm -hmm. in a section of the article called Why We Sleep. And it says, quote, sleep is broadly defined as a rapidly reversible period of immobility characterized by one a change in the neurophysiology of the brain. Two, a characteristic of posture. Three, an increased response to a threshold of external stimulation. And four, homeostatic regulation. And all of that together somehow makes sleep. So uh, the second point in that talks about that there's a characteristic posture to sleep. So I'm wondering, Ray, Luis, how do you sleep?
1: Hmm, that's an interesting question. I guess. At least for me, I tend to move around quite a bit but I end up uh, sleeping on my back most of the time and um, yeah that seems to be the, my preferred method of sleep or technique
2: <laughs> although I believe that the central premise here is flawed in that it assumes I sleep
0: <laughs> when
2: I do sleep it tends I tend to be on my one of my sides uh, mostly looking awake because I tend to need something in the background when I'm asleep, when I'm going to sleep. So what I do, I'll you do mean? is, I'll, like, I'll need uh, some show or something, so, uh, specifically a show that I've seen a million times, but that is still entertaining enough that it's not boring. Um, I'll put something on, and then I'll be on my side looking away from the computer. I have my a monitor off. The other one I have it tinted so that it's looks it's dark and color, it's colored darkly um, using Flux, F.L.U.X. It's an application that allows you to change the how warm your screen colors are based on time of day.
1: I use the same thing. It's a great uh, application. It's a great application. And even for your cell phone there are apps that help to remove the blue light and help ease that yeah. um, stress on your eyes. So.
2: Yeah, because I mean it's not just that. I mean, It's very much recommended that people before they go to sleep, maybe a a couple hours before they sleep, turn off all electronic devices or don't use electronic devices because that tends to lead to insomnia. People don't sleep if there is an electronic device that they are using. Um, And so, but I personally don't do that because I don't like being told what to do. Whatever, Mom. Uh, That was me doing some snapping. Uh, I'm gonna (laughs) retract that from the record. Um, But Yeah, so I I tend to sleep on my side looking away from my computer. That way I don't get light in my eyes and that makes it easier for me to fall asleep just listening to a scene that I've seen a million times. The most interesting thing about sleep isn't how we do it, it's why. Because we don't know. That's the thing. Science has been trying to explain this for basically forever and we've gone into basically every aspect of sleep, including dreams, which we've already talked about, several times. But... Then one thing that we don't know is why do we sleep? What's the main reason that this developed as an evolutionary behavior? Not every animal sleeps, but somehow a lot of them do. Why?
1: Well, from science, or what science has told us so far is that we sleep in order to help restore many of the functions in the human body, like the immune system, the nervous system, the muscular system, so your muscles... um, Your your brain gets to make the memories that you created during the day more concrete and turns them into long term memory. These are the current thoughts about why we sleep. Isn't that true?
2: That's that's one of the more more recent theories. uh, Absolutely, there is still nothing conclusive about it, though. There's no why it developed as a as a behavior. Is not There's nothing conclusive about it. There's been a lot of theories over time. I think one of the earlier ones was the inactivity theory, which was simply the body shuts down at these times to keep humans out of the more dangerous, like inactive during more dangerous periods of time. That was the, the first one, but that could be easily explained away by someone saying, well, yeah, but it's way more dangerous to be unconscious regardless of time of day than to be conscious if you're conscious you can react to things so why why the hell would we do that and then we talked then there came more theories about well it's energy conservation right you're conserving energy during a time of day where you can't really do anything with it right at night you're not going to be hunting so then why are you wasting energy if you're asleep you, you spend less energy and i think there's like a 10 percent energy reduction in expenditure i don't know the exact numbers after that, we moved on to theories like uh, what Ray mentioned, which I think is called re- the restorative theory. How uh,
1: this? Well, it's not a uh, you know specific theory. It's part of a ide- not ideology, but I guess it's part of a system of thinking that we.
0: Well, I mean, I agree with Ray on the memory part of that. It's not just the restorative part. It's it's sto- It's the consolidation of memory. There are a lot of animals that have to sleep because they use such, uh, high, such a high level of memory. So you think about squirrels who have to remember where every single, like spatial memory, where every single acorn is stored. And uh, birds are the same way to remember where certain places are where they can get food. So there is, I agree that memory is a big one. It's not just about energy, energy conservation necessarily. And there are kind of some evolutionary bits of sleeping that do protect us from getting attacked. I think of how horses sleep standing up because they can wake up and immediately get away if they need to. I think of even about human beings, how there's this supine position that's kind of protective in some way. We almost uh, shell ourselves uh, with the, the strong part of our back against the world, uh, and the organs that matter kind of, kind of caved in and protected. So, I mean, there are elements to sleep that seem necessary for what we have to do in the next day.
2: But okay, let's imagine. Let's let's pose a thought experiment because right now I think we're not really treating science how science works. You can't just say, "I feel like this makes sense." So, yeah, that's probably it. That's not how science works, right? You need data to show this is why, how, what's happening, cause and effect. Let's imagine a human that didn't require sleep. Your body doesn't break down when you sleep, right? You just are awake all the time. What would be the problem with that? Why wouldn't we evolve to have the ability to just be awake all the time and be active? Now, note, back in the day, when there was no light, there wasn't much you could do. But nowadays, you'd be able to be uh, active all day, all night, all the time. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. We just don't know why sleep needs to take place 100%. We're not sure. Actually,
1: there are scientific studies that show why it is harmful not to um, sleep. Are, there are sleep deprivation studies So it shows that it impairs the immune system. It can put you at risk for certain diseases, heart disease, diabetes. And one interesting study that I did find that I want to mention here is in the Journal of Pediatrics. This is actually published this year. There was a study on children where it showed that uh, children who slept one hour less than the average per night had a 1.5% decrease, or they had 1.5% shorter telomeres, uh, meaning that their cellular, their cells are aging faster. That's what they're proposing. And this was done on over 1,500 nine-year-olds from different cities in the U.S.
2: Note that, uh, I would say that, to make a special note, that aging and development are not the same. So it doesn't mean that they're getting older faster in terms of it developing at a faster rate and becoming adults quicker. It just means that their bodies are breaking down faster.
1: Right. The title, the title of the article is Children Who Sleep Less May Age I, Faster at a Cellular Level.
2: I will say, though, this is, uh, I was not ta- saying, if one of us didn't sleep, what's the problem with that? I'm saying, if humans had developed to not need sleep, why did we develop the need for sleep? Right? Because this is an evolutionary tactic. an evolution like Evolutionarily, we've developed this as a mechanism that we require why that's the question and we can say well sleep does this for us and it does these other things for us but there's no reason why that we know of a hundred percent that we are certain of for why this needs to have been the thing that happens the same way that aging is one of those things that we have developed and we take for granted as just being the way things are but is not necessarily the case just like there are other species that don't sleep there are species that don't age why are we one of the ones that does that's the question
0: well i mean asking why does anything in the world ever happen is is not it becomes it comes to the point of vagueness that it's not a question anymore i mean all of the things we're saying aren't just just these feelings of why we might sleep they are scientifically founded there's a lot of research on what can happen uh, like Ray is mentioning, there's also the reasoning that research through decades of scientific research have found on impacts on memory and why we need to store memory so it's it, but asking well, why did we just not uh become this way as animals or mammals or or living beings in general it's kind of a cosmic question I mean in with a spiritual foundation, a lot of people believe that sleep is is a rhythm of life. It allows us to, as sentient beings, to really process what is happening to us. I mean, as living organisms, sure, maybe we could have evolved with no sleep and just kept on kind of like a computer. It can be on for as long as it just doesn't overheat. But there's something about human life at a spiritual level where we've evolved a need to process life, to think about it. The function of our brain that actually suffers the most from sleep def- deprivation is the executive function, the functioning that really makes and processes important decisions, behavioral control, how we deal with other beings around us, uh, what builds civilization. And so at a, I think it's a it's more than just a biological level that answers that question.
1: Yeah, so I actually, I kind of want to connect your, both so both your question, Luis, and the comments you made, Stephanie, and I think if we look at the process of human life on a day-to-day basis, we get thrown a lot of stimuli at our, in, into our, um, as an organism, we receive a lot of stimuli from different environments, right? Um, and... We assume that the realities we see are just like how things are supposed to be. And you you know, you know, have like the sky and the ground and you have friends and family or um, materials in the world and you eat and you, and you sleep, right? That's an assumption. But what if that sleeping process is a way to escape that so-called reality? And that so-called reality is actually the illusion that we are... Have evolved to believe in order to stay alive, in order in order to survive. So the sleep process helps us get back into the natural state of reality. The unconscious part of our lives is what the true nature of reality may be. I know these are just, I'm just stretching here, and I don't know. I'm not really um, referencing any scientific data, but that's kind of what i'm thinking so the idea i don't want to get into dreaming too much but i just do want to mention it it's undeniable that people dream in general
2: i'm going to interject here for a second because uh steph said something a little bit earlier that i can't quite let slide uh, when we were talking about the reasoning behind specifically the scientific data that you're mentioning ray about why we sleep i think that stephanie said i'm gonna backtrack a second Stephanie said in response to my statements that we don't need to worry so much about the why, because if we're asking about the why for everything, you know, we're never going to get anywhere. But the problem is, when it comes to science, the why is very important. That's how we know about, for example, evolution. That's part of the why. Why are we the way we are, right? Why did humans evolve appendages? And why do... Uh, the way that we consume food and use it and the different ways that things happen. There is a reason for all of these things. And it is not because we chose to be this way, obviously. It's because we evolved to be this way and there's evolutionary pressures that allowed us to develop this, uh, all of these different facets of our existence. And when it comes to sleep, the fact that it's a mystery is why it, it, it's one of the reasons why it's very interesting. Because it's one of those things that every human does. In fact, every mammal does it. It seems to be required for mammals, and different animals do it in different ways, right? Some animals, in fact, only use half a, one hemisphere of their brain to sleep. They only, they, they're in this weird semi-active phase where they have just half their brain is asleep and the other half is active. Like there's, It's very important to most life, and yet we don't know why it is that it developed to be this way. We don't know with any certainty, at least. And I think that's very important that we figure out and we can't just wave hand wave these things away, these questions, because they're vital without asking why and without understanding how we don't we can't proceed to make use of knowledge to develop greater things or, for example, medicine. Right. If we're talking about medicine, medicine comes about because we understand why things happen so that then we know how to treat those problems. Right? I mean sometimes medicine happens more accidentally or it can be we can, there's many medications that we have that happen to work, but we don't know exactly how it happens that it that it works. And I think it's just making sure that we never hand wave away those questions. Even if we don't know the reason, we should never one jump to an easy, easy answer without any knowledge. We should always ask. And even if we don't know, we should just keep on asking.
0: But you can't assume that because i said something i don't have any knowledge of it and especially with spiritual knowledge i think that that's problematic to say that if we can't explain something perfectly scientifically then it's invalid and i think you know there are a I, lot of people who go by i'm uh, sorry
2: <laughs> sorry
1: i think this is getting good let's keep keep rolling
0: <laughs> I,
2: just uh, i didn't say that it was invalid i just said that we shouldn't hand-wave away that there, we don't know. I think that be, I'm very much okay with not knowing things. I don't think that I need a perfect scientific explanation for everything. But I don't like easy answers.
0: But I don't think that giving a spiritual uh, explanation for something is hand-waving. Or saying, I wasn't saying. Right? So, well, because you said at the beginning of your comment, I want to push back. I, want, I don't want to let what Stephanie said slide. And I don't think that spiritual matters are necessarily like a against science, nor do I think that they're a hand wave of, of well, here's a reason I came up with either.
2: I, I feel like I was referring specifically to the very beginning of your comment, not to the spiritual information, that you, the spiritual stuff that you were talking about. People can come to whatever answers are fine with them, but I find that so long as you're still asking, don't give up on asking.
0: Right. If you, if I think you it's okay to have a, unanswerable questions. I would agree with you on that.
2: Yeah, and that's that's my, my main point. People should be fine if you want to come up with the thing that makes you happy and makes you feel like the world works in a way that fits your worldview. but you're still understanding that any day science can come along and answer it in a way that's actually makes sense that actually has data to back it up and you're willing to accept that answer that's perfectly fine with me. As long as you're Sorry. not rejecting
1: that so i think the idea of science always asking the question of why is sort of true i agree but i think it's also about the question of how so a lot of the things that science does is how does this mechanism of sleep work or how does this process within the a metabolism of a creature work so the how portion is what we're trying to say it might not answer why it does it in an existential way but it really does answer the question of how I want to actually mention another quote. So you mentioned how we animals and different mammals sleep. So there was a study done, that uh, was published this year as well, where they looked at one type of glia cell, and the glia cells are in the brain. It's a, um, it's a type of neuron, uh, and this type is called the astrocyte. And it's said to prune unnecessary synapses in the brain to remodel its wiring. So what they did is they put different mice on different types of sleep, sleeping um, patterns and there were mice that were actually sleep deprived for 5 days in a row mimicking chronic sleep and it showed that those for those mice there was a 13.5% increase in the activity of these astrocytes compared to 8% for mice that were only that only lost 8 hours of sleep and you know 0% difference for the normally sleeping mice and there's arguing that it's potentially actually a good thing that they had this chronic sleep, uh, deprivation of sleep because after they went back to sleep and they woke up, there was a like remodeling of the brain. So although they are suffering without sleep for a while, but once they do go to sleep, there is this remodeling and refreshing of the brain. So And it, it seems to be an attempt to show how sleep deprivation may be beneficial in some ways, but uh, still, obviously, science doesn't end and this kind of research will continue to go on. They're specifically looking at how Alzheimer's and other forms of neurodegeneration um, occur and what they can do about it.
0: They also talk about, a, in a lot of research, a connection between like psychological well-being and sleep as well, which I think is related to what you're saying, Ray. I think they see, for example, this correlation. I don't know which direction the causation goes in, but there's a correlation between anxiety, depression, any type of psychological well-being in relation to sleep deprivation. And so, is it that a lack of sleep causes these things, or do these things cause a lack of sleep? Do you, any, either of you know the answer to that? Have you seen studies on that? I know there was a study where they uh, they looked at like over 500 community residents and their sleeping habits. They were looking at do they sleep suboptimally, which I think is less than six hours, or sleeping too much is also suboptimal. It means you're not getting good quality sleep, or something's happening where you need to sleep a lot. And then they look at people who had optimal sleep between six and 8.5 hours of sleep, where you're that's considered optimal level of sleep. So are people becoming anxious because they're not optimally sleeping and then that therefore maybe sleep needs to be fixed in order to ameliorate other problems or is it the other way around?
1: Well, uh, that kind of brings me to the issue of sleep apnea.
0: Sleep apnea is when you actually stop breathing while you sleep and so the lack of oxygen really affects you. And generally
2: it's tied in with obesity and other such conditions.
0: Yeah. And there's also sleep hypopnea, which is a very shallow breathing, hypoapnea basically. Which is very you get you you don't stop breathing, but there's still so little oxygen passing that you don't get the oxygen you need. And this is often related also to night terrors, where to, for the body to wake itself up out of sleep apnea it actually jumps straight from basically deep sleep into this almost consciousness which is not a nightmare I think actually something
2: something really interesting about this and that I've read a fair bit on is the fact that um, and one of the explanations for a lot some people give explanations for a lot of the monsters throughout history the ideas of mythology of monsters especially things like vampires, comes from something similar to night terrors, which are combined with sleep paralysis. So what happens when you go fall asleep is that your brain sends a signal to basically, your spinal cord basically paralyze you, right? That's so you're not walking around and acting out things when you're asleep. That's why having someone who is a sleepwalker is a problem. So your brain, to avoid that, paralyzes you. But sometimes what happens is, during that weird state between sleep and awakeness, people can... The the brain may not give you back your motor function, and you can be in this weird sort of in-between world in your head where you still see terrifying things in the real world, but you can't move. And that's been one of the explanations for a lot of these monsters that prey on people when they're asleep. Like vampires that can come in and suck your blood and while, while you're sleeping and, you know, all these other baddies. So that's actually UFOs really interesting. Yeah, I mean, like aliens who knows? coming
1: to kidnap you while you're sleeping.
2: Yeah, that's... probe you and all that. I, I know, I don't, I don't sleepwalk, but I know I definitely sleep jab. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I know that, uh, you know those weird spasms that people do when they're falling asleep? I definitely have those, and one of the things I felt one of the worst times I felt uh, that was I was on the subway in New York, and I was traveling somewhere, and I was dozing off, and in my falling asleep, I began jabbing the person next to me in the in the stomach with my elbow, <laughs> so I just <laughs> would hit them every once in a while, and it was just this little old lady, and I was kept hitting oh, no. her, and I felt terrible, yeah, but. Yeah, that's actually fairly interesting. And I think this also brings me to the idea of napping, right? Is that part considered, if you sleep eight hours a day, but it's composed of short naps, is that healthy, right? And research for the most part shows, nah, you probably don't want to do that. You probably want to get a long sequential sleep because you want that REM sleep. But napping in and of itself is not inherently bad. And that's where you have entire cultures where you know, yeah. midday you have siestas, which you just sleep throughout the middle of the day, and then you go back to work.
0: So mm. I think this is really interesting. I think we could go deeper on, on nightmares, on sleeping, on REM sleep especially. And so we'll be back right after this commercial, and so we'll see you soon.
1: Sleep, 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 no thanks, I have too many things to do today, and tomorrow, and forever, I don't need sleep, I got hibernation pills, I'm sleeping all the time, I haven't slept all winter long, while the other bears are all hibernating, I'm out catching trout, busting up beehives, and sucking up all that sweet, sweet, sweet honey, hibernating is a big, big waste of time, and these hibernation pills, I could do anything all the time, and for Forever, I love hibernation because I'm in it to win it, and you will too! The bears.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to Positive Feedback Loop Podcast. And Luis was talking about sleep paralysis before the commercial. And sleep paralysis is related to REM sleep. It's a sort of disrupted REM. There was this psychologist, Kazuhiro Fukuda, who actually gave a questionnaire to students in Canada and in Japan about symptoms of sleep paralysis, and what's really interesting are the cultural differences and how they filled out the questionnaire. So the Canadian students said that it was like a dream. For a lot of students who don't know what sleep paralysis is, they say, I was having a dream. But in Japan, they actually call it kanashibari. And kanashibari is this Japanese term for sleep paralysis, which is what Luis describes as this process of waking up into consciousness, but your body can't move at that, at that point. And it's really associated with kind of nightmares in Japanese culture and it goes back to, I think, the Edo period from like the 16 to 1800s and ghost stories. It's interesting that how we approach sleep, it has a lot of cultural differences and how we think about sleep. And so I was wondering if you, Luis, Ray, knew of some cultural differences around you of how people relate to sleep.
1: Mm, that's a tough question. That's a good one.
2: Oh, oh! here's here's something that I, now that, you, now that I think about it. Fans versus our air conditioners and how they affect sleep. Well, think about it this way. I grew up in a country where it was rare to have an air conditioner, right? Cuba, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff. It's a developing country. Not a lot. Not, not many people have air conditioners, so you're used to sleeping with a fan. Which is why I was very confused when I heard about the South Korean fear of fans killing you in your sleep
0: that's just is, specific to south korea
2: yes they have a they have a tradition that they they believe or at least uh, the the mythos is that fans will suck out the oxygen from the room and thus asphyxiate you in your sleep so this is called fan death and there's no evidence for it ever but it's been a long standing idea in in South Korea or I guess I don't know I'm assuming just South Korea I don't think North Korea has this an issue but we don't know too much about them but it's it's not clear where it came from I'm not sure at least but I do know that it's been around for a long time but just like that there's plenty of the myths mythos and myths that exist throughout all of the world ...that are related to sleep or related to many different things that that are just stories... ...but they don't have any basis in reality.
1: Hmm, that's really interesting, Louise. That kind of leads me to the Debunking Bunker. And today's Debunking Bunker segment talks about how tryptophan... ...the chemical that we all hear about that exists inside of turkey. So every Thanksgiving people say, oh, don't eat too much turkey... ...because it's going to make you fall asleep. Well, in reality... That is not true. So the amount of tryptophan within turkey just is not enough to make any kind of realistic effect on a human brain to make them feel more sleepy. So any kind of feeling you have is probably just because you ate too much food in general.
0: That reminds me of a story, a fairy tale to go back to kind of the idea of these tales brought up by Luis uh, of food causing you to sleep a long time. And that's the, the story of Rip Van Winkle, who's the subject of like a great American legend. It was written by Washington Irving. I don't know if you, you guys heard of Rip Van Winkle when you were kids, but it's a story from the 1800s, basically, and it's based in Catskill, New York, which I just visited this summer, so I feel like it's close to home. It's a really cool place, but basically Rip Van Winkle is this chill guy. He's great with kids, but he's not good at hard work, and he doesn't help his wife, and you know shirks his duties or whatever so he goes out with his dog into the mountain he meets some strangers he drinks some of their grog and he falls asleep for years I mean that's like similar to the tryptophan myth you know like I'm just gonna drink a lot and all of a sudden I'm gonna fall asleep for years upon years and I think he fell asleep when Great Britain still was like there was no American independence yet and then he wakes up after the the American Revolution so
2: so although obviously the veracity of the story is not doesn't exist the <laughs> i think it reminds me of something uh that's very common and now in the way that we talk about sleep and it's pizza dreams or pizza nightmares are you guys familiar with this
0: no What's no. a pizza nightmare
2: it's basically when you eat pizza right before bed and you have terrible dreams as a result or like really weird dreams as a result of just having eaten a big meal, specifically, pizza is like the stereotypical one, but there's, you know, it's just basically about food. And uh, there's not really much research on this, at least, at least that I could find, about why this is the case. But it's at least I know that from personal experience, if I have pizza right before going to sleep, I am going to have some weird dreams. And I'll actually so, remember them.
1: So for me, I think I have, you know, pretty vivid dreams anytime I eat any kind of food. Right before I go to sleep, Uh, especially carbohydrates Uh, with pizza, having a lot of dough, having a lot of carbohydrates will make you, I I think, I don't know if this is factual science, but the fact that there are just more, there's more glucose traveling inside your system. Your brain is just more active and just generates more dreams. I don't know if that's very true, but that's my experience is what happens to me.
2: The way we actually go to sleep is fascinating. Uh, especially because everyone has a different way of doing it. Different people have different approaches to sleep and how, what provides them the best possible experience with sleep. And obviously not eating pizza right before bed is probably one of those for a lot of people. And a lot of people you uh, go to the bathroom before sleep and they, got, they have a whole tradition of what they do. So I, I'm curious as to what are some of the approaches that you guys have for the best sleep possible? And what are some interesting stories you might have from that?
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting question. You're right, Louis. Some people, you know, drink water right before they sleep or or not, so they don't have to use the bathroom, or they have a snack so they don't feel like they have an empty stomach. Um, people who sleep with a partner as well uh, get benefits of, of cuddling before going to bed, you know. So I think that probably has a very strong effect on making the person feel less stressed more relaxed less anxious slowly falling into the sleeping mode so yeah i would say cuddling is a, is a good way to fall asleep
0: it's also just related to sleep and relationships this idea of like watching someone sleep it can either be creepy or can be super romantic like you see you know couples where they even watch their children sleep and how peaceful they are and it's their moment to forget the chaotic part of the day when their children were wreaking havoc on the house and they go into their bedroom while they sleep and just kind of remember like these little angels in their lives and you know but then it can be creepy too you think of the uh, movie twilight where Edward watches Bella sleep and I don't know when I I so I read one of the books and I never finished the series because I thought it was just the creepiest thing in the world to have this guy like watching a girl sleep and then that somehow be interpreted as romantic but I think you're right this idea of cuddling and being with someone and and sleeping better because you've got someone there uh it's true for children too who crawl into bed with their parents and they sleep so much better and they tend to do that after having a nightmare it's just very comforting and there are a lot of fairy tales around this as well sleep being this kind of romantic thing you think of uh, Snow White eating the apple and she falls asleep and then she's rescued by some prince and you think of uh, Sleeping Beauty same thing she pricks her finger in the Disney movie version and she falls asleep and then some prince comes and saves her so there's this romantic notion around sleep now i want to say though that i'm not sure that's been the truth uh at least in media until recently i think disney has spun old fairy tales into a little bit more calm romantic tales i think of for example sleeping beauty was supposedly told like like as early as the thirteen hundreds, and a lot of people uh, know the Disney version. But in the earliest version of the tale, that was from I guess uh, that was published. So this is fifteen hundreds when it was first written down. The there's this princess named Zelandine. This is what Sleeping Beauty is based on, and she falls in love with a man named Troilus, and he goes off and does some stuff to like prove his worthiness to her. And while she's while he's gone, she falls into this deep sleep. Well, he comes back, he impregnates her in her sleep, which is super disturbing, and then he wakes her up, so she's not even awakened with a kiss. There's nothing romantic about it, it's just an incredibly disturbing story. So, you know, and this goes back to, you know, what I mentioned about the Kanashibari and going back to, like, the Edo period of ghost stories in Japan. This idea of sleep as this very disturbing time where you really are vulnerable to the elements and to these uh, dragons and demons. And, I mean, it's no wonder that sleep has this very mystical atmosphere around it. Uh, even today, we see sleep as very mystical, even with its very positive and very disturbing sides.
1: And we do it a third of our lives, not you know, so it's it's a big portion of our lives
2: i think i think the fact that it's something that everyone does and you're the you're most vulnerable and you mentioned this right it's that's why it's seen as such a thing like it's seen as tender to have a caring partner who watches you in your sleep when you're your most defenseless but it's it's done with love they're observing you at this state right it is one of the one of those times when you're your most vulnerable and it's very interesting to see how that is reflected in pop culture and i think it's funny and you mentioned twilight because it is one of the like the prime examples of that dichotomy between what's creepy and what isn't depending on context because like if you're it's i think of it as this would it be creepy if your grandparent told you a story of someone doing that to them versus just someone you don't know doing that to you right uh, like if you think about like your grandmother talking about yo know, and he snuck into my house and
1: maybe uh, it's a bedtime story too. Yeah, like that, uh, that you could know, make it
2: nice. Actually, no. This is, I'm going. To, this is a bad example, but the idea though of someone watching you in your sleep is inherently could be so weird and bad if it's not someone you care about, right? Just someone. If a robber breaks into your house and watches you as you sleep, you would feel violated. That would be so bad. But having a pretty boy do it, I mean, that's... It's totally fine. and hand-waved away. And it's totally... I've been using the word hand-wave a lot.
1: Um, Are you trying to become a
2: magician? My prestidigitation <laughs> is without equal.
0: You voiced that very well. You're basically saying that sleep is a vulnerable state. And so, you know, in this episode, we've talked about the biology of sleep, the why and yeah. the how we've talked about, uh, sleep paralysis, nightmares. We talked about kind of media treatment of sleep. We've talked about food and sleep, uh, memory and cognitive abilities. I mean, all of these, these relationships with sleep. And it really does come down to when we're asleep, we're probably at our most vulnerable. We are unconscious or in our subconscious somewhere. We're in a position of not being able to fight right away. We are vulnerable also just to the, the elements of the psyche. If we've had an anxious day, we're vulnerable to, to nightmares, to these monsters. Not just uh, the
2: psyche, just the elements, period. And the elements, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Think about, I mean, we live in a society where we have everything to protect us. We have all these walls around us. You see these roofs. Everything's designed to keep us safe. But, you know, back in the day, that may not have been necessarily the case. You know, there's, there's always the idea of a lion sneaking in and eating your kids and running away with them while you're asleep. Like that, there, there was no such structure to protect against that originally. And society over time has created more and more defenses to keep us isolated from all the things in the world that could threaten us at our most vulnerable and although obviously that's not always the case, I think there was um I, back I think this was in college, or oh no it wasn't in college. It was back in high school. I was with my chamber ensemble. We were touring Germany, and we were in different groups. Like we had been split up, and I the so the the, the women were staying in one area and the men were staying in another, and apparently a drunk guy thinking it was his room, walked into the girl's room and almost went to bed until he realized that, oh, whoops, there's women here. This is not where I live. And can you imagine that that just happening, just being roused from your sleep by some random stranger just in your space that you don't know of? That would be terrifying. But why is it so terrifying? If you just see a stranger in the real world normally, you don't mind it as much. Yeah, of course, having a stranger walk into your house is scary. But even more so when you're coming out of this state.
0: Right? Yeah, this, this state of complete
2: state. defenselessness. And I think that's that's where a lot of nightmares come from.
1: But we sleep on in public places all the time. Airplanes, True. buses, and we I think it depends on your expectation and in, into the going to sleep part. So it's an interesting point. We are vulnerable, but there are social norms that have been put in place over time that well, allow us to do you know to, uh, that allow us to sleep in public places
2: i would say that sleeping in a public place probably feels more safe than sleeping in a private in a private space that you don't own you're insulated so, by the other people yeah. right because P, there is there is something about there is a safety in numbers and i think there is a comfort in knowing that there are other people there and if someone were to try to do something to you there would be someone who might see and do something about it. So you'd sort of protect it that way. But yeah, you're right. Uh, and there's always that. I, I, if I sleep in a public place, I'm always holding on to all my things to make sure that no one just like walks away with them. Because it's possible for people just not to notice. Yeah, that's that's another aspect of sleep. You're right.
1: I, w- I wonder if we can uh, create, generate data on the quality of sleep in public places versus the quality of sleep in, in at home. Because sometimes in public places, I am dead asleep and i wake up thinking well, how did i get here for like you know that m- split millisecond um, but i wonder if you know there is a difference in quality i it could between, be also between like where you sleep
0: it's interesting you bring that up because there's this sleep researcher named Shelley R Adler basically the research this researcher talked about how re- sleep studies were historically conducted among middle-class westerners who grew up with quote a specific set of sleep ecologies which is what you're talking about like we think of sleep happening with four walls in a bedroom whereas there's a lot of different types of sleep and the sleep studies that have been done have been in this same western sleep ecology so the variance in sleep hasn't really been captured to its fullest and Adler says sleep conditions in the United States are distinct from the variety of sleep conditions that are found around the world, so Adler quotes researchers Worthman and Worthman we- and, and Melby, who said, quote, "Patterns of solitary sleep on heavily cushioned substrates, mattresses, consolidated in a single daily time block, and housed in roofed and solidly walled space," end quote, is how we think about sleep. And so Adler describes these conditions where there are multiple sleeping patterns of many ages, proximity to animals, sleep within ongoing social interactions, I'm thinking about the airplane scenario, Ray, or on buses, uh, when we are willing to sleep next to strangers, different waking times, sleep rituals, uh, sleep that is disrupted. I mean, in ancient times, you wouldn't be able to sleep through a whole night because you'd have to keep a fire going. You'd have to maintain the fire. If you slept too long the fire would go out and then you know despite the heat that you would need you'd actually fire kept animals away as well so it it disrupted sleep was actually a way to preserve your ongoing well-being so i think in the future as we learn more about sleep we're going to be seeing hopefully more research that looks at all the different ways sleep plays out in our lives not just in Western culture in four walls and a roof and a peaceful night's sleep. So uh, really interesting topics today. We've covered a lot of ground here, Uh, asked some hard questions of ourselves, and uh, we thank you again for joining us at PFL Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at The PFL Podcast. We're also on Facebook and, of course, our website where where we're always blogging, the episode notes at pflpodcast.com. We're also on the Threadless store with products with PFL designs. You can get any of those products at pflpodcast.threadless.com. Thanks again for joining us for a wonderful episode and stay Stay crazy. crazy.